So I don't know how many of you have watched this television show uh, called Suits. It's, it's done its rundown. Has anyone heard of Suits? You don't have to admit to have watching it. What's that? Because of Megan Markle. Only, only, oh, royal watchers here. Yes. So Suits, um, the first episode, I still remember it. It kind of caught my attention. And I think it was nine years ago the first episode came. But there was this person named Mike who had a photographic memory. And he was making money by taking the, the bar exam for other people because he just read through the whole manual, memorized everything, and boom, made, made quick money. So that was his life, aside from dealing drugs. So it, it was a good career for him. But he, he, was, he was outrunning some people that were trying to catch him, and he wanders into this job interview session uh, to become a lawyer. And the banter starts going, and it starts coming, and, 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 and he says to uh, the character, Harvey Specter, he says, Pick any page in that manual, that big, I don't know, something to do with laws. Pick any page and ask me. It's like, okay, flips to a page and, and Mike Ross just starts reciting it. Because of the photographic memory, he could just remember one word after another. And it made for a great TV show, but you know, you think that's not, that's not real in real life. And then I was listening to the CBC radio uh, a couple weeks ago and they had an interview with this woman who can remember every day of her life since she was 10 years old in detail. She said for, for, in the interview, she explained that, you know, for most of us, you see calendars as, as columns and rows, and you're able to kind of picture it, and that's how we, she's like, it's not like that for me. For me, the calendar is like a pathway, and I can walk to any point on that pathway in my mind and remember what's happening. And sure enough, so they quizzed her, because this is what always pe people always do. Well, what happened on this day? Oh, that's the day that this happened. And I was wearing the blue hoodie with the yellow stencil on the front, and this person shot me a dirty look. She could remember everything that happened. Now, she doesn't, she can't read a book and remember everything, but it, it's specific with her life. She can remember everything that happened. Would you want to be able to do that? <laughs> There's a blessing that comes with being able to forget, right? Some people cannot forget. I was thinking about that because our message today, we're, we're continuing this series through 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, where Peter gives this big list of virtues. He says, out of your faith grows goodness or virtue, and out of goodness or virtue, today our message, grows knowledge. We started a couple weeks ago by talking about how becoming virtuous in life, growing these things in our life takes effort. It's not something that happens naturally. If, if your life goal is to sit on the couch, eat Twinkies, and watch Netflix, then you'll become really good at sitting on the couch, eating Twinkies, and watching Netflix. <laughs> but if you want to grow the virtues in your life, it takes effort along these lines. And so that's the challenge that Peter gives us. He's like, and he says it twice. He says, make every effort to do this. And then at the end, make every effort again. He keeps repeating this thing because he wants us to work on it. So last week we reflected. It was a very light and uplifting week. We talked about funerals. And uh, <laughs> I'm joking. It wasn't that dark. But we, we talked about how, well, I asked the question, at your funeral, what would you want people to say about you? What qualities or characteristics would you want them to say? But then the hard question was, 
what would they actually say? Not at the funeral, but after the funeral's done, they're drinking coffee at home and talking about you. What do you think people are going to remember you by? Peter invites us to become virtuous so that when people remember us one day, they will remember us as this sort of person. So that was last week. Make every effort out of your faith to develop virtue. And this week it's out of virtue to develop knowledge. We're going to talk about knowledge, and it's not just any knowledge. It's not just being able to read the, 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 all the legal documents and recall with perfect memory or walk through your history and remember all the details of your path. It's a very specific type of knowledge that Peter's talking about, and we're going to get into it this morning. But first, let's, uh, let's read the scripture again that this series is rooted on. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, that's next week, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in case you missed it the first time, make all the more effort to confirm your call and election. So we're talking about knowledge this morning, and I'm going to get into what type of knowledge, but before I do that, I have to dethrone knowledge a little bit. On the next slide, I have a list of all the virtues that Peter talks about. He starts with faith, and then he goes to goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and he ends with love. Now, in these ancient virtue lists, um, they're not just in the Bible, they're not just in Peter, they're not just in Paul, they're in many ancient documents. This is the way that um, uh, philosophers would talk. This is the way they would write. But one thing is common to all of these ancient lists, and that is the first position and the last position are the key. The most important positions in all of these ancient lists when you read them are the first and last. That's why I've called this series Rooted in Faith and Wrapped in Love because faith and love are the most important parts of this list. Everything else, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, and mutual affection, they all depend, they all come out of our faith, our allegiance to God, to Jesus, and they all lead towards love. And if they don't, they have no meaning. So faith and love is the key thing. If you read some of the ancient lists from outside of the Bible, the same thing holds true. The first and the last position are the most important positions. But it, they, they never start with faith and they never end with love. Knowledge usually has the key position. So if you're reading ancient philosophy, which I know we all like to do every week, if you're reading ancient philosophy and you come across one of these lists, you'll usually find knowledge at the front. And if knowledge isn't at the front, it's at the end. And when Peter wrote his list, he's like, yeah, knowledge is important. But it's not more important than faith and love. As Christians, it begins with faith and it ends in love. That's what's important. I've, I've had a lot of experience with teachers. I've done a lot of post-secondary education 
I've had a lot of teachers over the years, and when I was thinking about it, the best teachers I've ever had are not necessarily the most intelligent, but they're the ones who cared for their students the most. Right? That's what sticks. Knowledge is important. We're going to spend the rest of the morning talking about knowledge, what it means, and how we can make every effort to acquire it. It is important, but it is Philosophers would say contingent. It is secondary. It depends on faith. And it leads to love. And this knowledge we're talking about isn't just useless cramming of facts into your head. I'm no Mike Ross. I was never, I could never have a photographic memory or remember everything. One of the reasons, if you've seen my blog, that I write a book review every week of the books I read is so it'll help me remember it and I can go back if I forget. I don't have that sort of memory, but I learned in Bible college that I was really good at cramming facts into my head quickly. And so I made the most of it. So here's how my pattern would work. Some of you have heard this before, but the night before a big exam, a major exam, I would stay up all night because I was young and I could do it. I can't do it now, but that's what I would do. I would stay up all night and here's how I would study. I had all my class notes and I typed them out so they'd stick in my head. I had all my class notes and I made everything into lists. So if it, was, if it was the theology of God and I had to memorize the attributes of God and there was omniscience, omnipresence, mercy, love, holiness, I would make an acronym to remind me of all those characteristics and I would write the list on a piece of paper, I would sink it in there and it was good. And I'd go on to the next thing. And so by 4 or 5 a.m., I would have a big sheet of paper covered with all these little tiny lists that were all keyed to weird acronyms. And I could, I knew I could jam knowledge into my head that way. And then my ultimate, this, is, this was my method, my process, is I would go to the cafeteria and I would pour myself a bowl full of Frosted Flakes and cover it with sugar and pour coffee over it. Chew it up. And I would go into the exam wired with my yo-yo. Just, just to drive everyone else crazy because they think I was calm. And I would go into the exam, and I'd sit down, I'd wait for everything to get quiet, and I'd open up a can of pop, just when the gym is silent. <laughs> and then I would spit out everything I had crammed in my head for the last 12 hours. I would just, that's what I did. I wrote out everything I knew, and I was reading the questions, and I was able to recall a surprising amount of it. And... Do you know, then I, then I leave the exam and go to sleep, and I wake up. Do you know how much of that I could remember after I woke up? Not much at all. <laughs> the knowledge we're talking about here isn't just cramming facts into your head. It's not just knowledge in general. When Peter uses the word knowledge, he's talking about a specific type of knowledge. He's not talking about just book learning. The type of love he's talking about is relational, and it is moral. It is about getting to know a person. It is about the knowledge of God, and because we have knowledge of God, it's about knowledge of each other as we grow towards, not stuffing our head with facts, but as we grow towards love. Because it all begins with faith, and it all ends in love. So the question then is, where do we put our effort? Where do we buckle down and work? 
How do we develop this knowledge of God? Well, the Bible tells us really clearly. There's this weak theology out there that's gained traction over the last few centuries. And to put it in kind of a caricature form, there's this understanding out there that God the Father is this big, angry cloud in the sky, and he can just hardly wait to zap us. But Jesus steps in the way and says, no, is that me instead? And we're all good. There are elements of truth to where that theology comes from, but it drastically distorts our image of God. The Bible tells us very, very plainly what God looks like. God looks like Jesus. And there are a few places where we learn this. In Hebrews, we read that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. And in case you didn't get it, the exact imprint of God's very being. If you want to know what God looks like, he looks like Jesus. Jesus said it himself. These, these words are from Jesus' own mouth. If you know me, Jesus said, you'll know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip, like all the apostles, a little bit dense at this point in life, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be good enough for us. And Jesus said, I've been with you how long? How many times? How long have I been with you, Philip, and you still don't know me? Did you get that? Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I've been with you how long and you still don't know me? You're equating the two. You've been with me this whole time. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if we want to develop a knowledge of God, it starts by looking at Jesus and understanding Jesus, who he is and what he is like. And we can read about him in the Gospels. If you're newer to the faith, newer to the church, um, in, the Bible is divided up into two sections. The Jewish part, the Old Testament, well, it's all Jewish. But the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament that was written after Jesus arrived. It's written in Greek, in the Greek language. And the first part of the New Testament are four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are four thematic biographies of Jesus' life. And if you want to get a good picture of what Jesus looks like, you read the four of those. Um, they have differences between them. They paint slightly different pictures of Jesus, but they are all together on the main points of his life and his existence and his uh, walking with us. I think of it like this. Imagine if Donna and Ryan and my mom and my sister Kathy were all to write biographies of me. They would not know Nate, you're cut off. <laughs> That'd be in the apocrypha. No. Um, imagine they were all to write different biographies of me. They all know me. They all know me better than well, anyone else here. They all know me very well. I think the, on the key areas of life, they'd probably be right aligned, but they would all point out different things about who I am. And that's what you get when you read the Gospels. You don't just get a solitary voice, but you get a well-rounded picture of what Jesus really looks like. So if, if you want to take up this challenge, if you want to make every effort to grow knowledge of God in your life, 
and spend time in those Gospels with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reading them. But there's even better news than that. It's not just about reading a book because when Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit on us and created the church. And so we don't just have pages to read to figure out what Jesus is like. We have the spirit of Jesus himself living in us. And as we read, I don't know if, you, if this is your practice when you read the Bible, but I find if I, if, I, if I pause, if I pray, if I open the Bible and read it carefully, I am almost always amazed that the, the Holy Spirit will kind of make something come alive. He will, uh, the theologians would say, illuminate God's word. But you'll see something there you didn't recognize before because the spirit of Jesus will teach us what Jesus is like too. It's good news. And as we get to know God, as we develop this knowledge of God, we will grow in our allegiance to him because you'll find out that he's the sort of person you want to follow. God is incredible. So this knowledge is not just book learning. It's not just cramming things into your head, but it's a relational knowledge of who God is. And that knowledge is rooted in faith. There's a passage that came to my mind as I was preparing this sermon, and I looked it up, and I knew it was in a few places in Scripture, but I didn't realize how many places. You can find the Scripture in Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 1.7, Job 28.28, Psalm 110.10, the same line all through the Bible. You know what it says? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One of God is understanding. Let's read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we begin our education, as it were. We begin our, to, to grow our knowledge of God as we submit to the Lord. As we admit that His ways are higher than our ways, and as we rely on Him to help us see this world. God informs our, our moral ability to see truth in a world that's so confusing. Do you remember when Peter, this was from a few weeks back, but Peter talked about the corruption of the world. And I, I suggested that there's physical corruption. These bodies are wearing out. Everything falls down over time. There's physical corruption, but there's also moral corruption. There's a sense that this world is going in the wrong direction, and there's a lot of problems with it. And Peter said that God has given us, through his great power, everything we need to extract us from that world of corruption so we can live with God, even as we are here. And that, that life with God gives us a different perspective on the world around us. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a controversial example, because this will get you thinking. Right now, actually tomorrow is the last day, the government of Canada is doing a survey uh, to find out what Canadian views are on medically assistant, uh, medical assistance in dying. Medical assistance in dying has been legal in Canada since 2016. And in order to qualify for medical assistance in dying, you need to have, quote, a grievous irremediable medical 
condition. You don't have to be on the edge of death, but you have to have a condition that leads that way that causes great pain. And in the context of this world, it is portrayed like an act of mercy. And at least in some sense it is. This isn't an easy topic. To allow someone some relief from the pain they're feeling. It's portrayed as something courageous. And they can draw on the ancient philosophers. I mean, Socrates was the person who said to stand up and to give your own life in service to something. It's portrayed as something that's good. It's portrayed that something is merciful. Feeding into that is this modern idea that we have a personal, individual right to do whatever we want with our bodies. Right? That's kind of the worldview out there. That we are individuals, we are solitary, we are alone, and we can make decisions for ourselves. Well, what does it look like when you view it through Scripture? I would suggest that the Bible says we don't have a right to our own bodies. Our bodies were created by God in His image. And He determines that. Which is horrible, horribly difficult to grasp and take. But that's the biblical worldview. Here's the other thing you hear. You hear that suffering takes someone's dignity away. But Jesus showed us that there is a profound dignity even in suffering. Jesus suffered for us. Suffering is not meaningless. This is a difficult issue. I don't want to pretend I have the last word on it. And, uh, we could talk all sides of this, but my, my sheer point was to, to say this. From the perspective of this world, the best knowledge that we have would probably say that, yeah, this is, this is a reasonable thing, this is a merciful thing. But there are other perspectives. As we submit to God, we're able to grow not just in knowledge of God, but in moral wisdom that may even seem counterintuitive in the world. And that knowledge is rooted in our faith, our allegiance, our trust in Jesus. And it all aims toward love. Man, I need to change. You know what? Oh, next week's self-control. I did funerals last week and medically assisted dying this week. I need to lighten it up. I'm sorry. I will change next week. Let's, let's go on to a different direction now. Wrapped in love. Paul uses this term, this knowledge, in a prayer that he wrote to the Philippians. And it's this, this is what I want to leave you with, thinking about. This is what Paul said to the church in Philippi. He said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Same word. That you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding because I want you to understand what it really means so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you be always filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring you much glory and praise to God. The beginning of that was the most important part. Listen to this again. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and you keep on growing in knowledge. That our understanding of God and morality keeps growing and developing. So what, one of the things we learn here is that knowledge does keep growing progressively. It's not something that you either have or you don't. 
It's something that we grow in as we put effort into it. I'm, uh, I've done way too much education. I love it. It's just who I am, so I love it. But I just got a new Amazon order in the mail when I was up camping, and there's a new book that someone recommended that I read. It's, it's actually called Why Good People Disagree About Politics and Religion. And I'm thinking, I need to know this. It's, there's always more. Knowledge is always something that we can grow in. And it's true with knowledge of God because you can never get to the bottom of who God is. There's always a depth to God that we will never be able to get to the bottom of. So our lives can be a process of acquiring this knowledge. And this knowledge, the purpose of it, Paul said, was so you'd live a virtuous life. I pray that you'll, your love will overflow and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge so that you'll live a pure and blameless life. It takes knowledge to live for Jesus. One of the things I studied the beginning of oh, about a year ago now, when I took my final, uh, final course at McMaster, I did a major research project on the New Atheists. Have you ever heard of the New Atheist Movement? It's getting old now. It's actually a couple, a decade been old. Um, but there are Christopher Hitchens and Dawkins and Sam Harris and Bennett are the big four. There's all these people, and, and, and they've, been, they've been coming back with this new theme of how atheism is going to rid the world of all its problems because religion is the source of all the problems and so on. So I did a lot of research into these people, listened to their talks, read their books. And one of the biggest points of difficulty with this whole movement is where do they find their morality? If there is no God, where is morality? That's one of the big sticking points. And so they've done a lot of work to try to explain how they can found their morality in something. And ultimately, it comes from just the community that they're a part of. But for Christians, the knowledge of God is what leads us to lead moral lives because we know what God is like in his love. We are able to show that. What's required for a virtuous life? They were also, we also find out in this passage that it's practical knowledge. Um, the knowledge is to understand what really matters so that you may live. It doesn't matter how much buck learning you've got. It doesn't matter how intelligent you think you are. It doesn't, none of that matters. Because this is all something that God can allow us to grow in. Our understanding of God. I was thinking of an example. I was thinking of a real high end. Oh, I don't want to pick on anyone because then I'll get in trouble. Thinking of a very high end designer that designs this beautiful, perfectly crafted car. Every line is perfect. Everything looks amazing. Everything works the way it's supposed to work. It's just like a dream car. And then imagine that designer going home in it, getting a flat tire and thinking, oh, oh I have to change it. It might be a struggle to figure out how to actually change a tire. Knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to practical skills. But knowledge of God does, because knowledge of God helps us to understand what it means to really live in this world. Not the practical skill of changing a tire, but the practical skill of figuring out how to respond to someone that just really irritated you. Or the practical skill of how to love someone when everything within you says, get away from that person. 
That's the sort of practical skill that the knowledge of God will develop in our lives. And of course, this knowledge is related to love. Just like Peter begins his list with faith, ends it with love, Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow so you can keep growing in knowledge. Love and knowledge are closely related things. Knowledge enables us to love people more carefully, to love people more truly. You ever heard the expression tough love? That's when you have to act in a way that wouldn't typically be considered loving, but in the situation it is because you're ultimately caring for that person more than you would by just enabling them. It's knowledge that enables us to give tough love when it's required. Knowledge and love are carefully and closely related. So, I hope you have a little bit of an idea of what Peter meant when he said, I pray that you would grow in knowledge. We talked about the knowledge of God that we see when we look at Jesus, that we understand morally as we submit to God, that's related closely to love. And I wanted to just bring to your attention, and we're going to close with this song. We sang a song called 10,000 Reasons this morning. It was the first one after the offering. The second verse is filled, it's rich with the knowledge of God. Listen to this. You're rich in love. This is, this is about God. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find that knowledge of God, that he's rich in love, he's slow to anger, he's great and kind, that's the sort of knowledge that we are after. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close with that song, 10,000 Reasons, and I'm going to pray that God will help you and I to increase in the knowledge of him. Our Father in heaven, thank you. I feel like I start every prayer that way, but really, there's what else can we say? Thank you for inspiring faith in our hearts. Thank you for challenging us last week to develop the virtues in our life. And Lord, for this week in our discussion about knowledge, I pray, Spirit of God, that you will help us to increase in the knowledge of God as we continue on in our lives. And that that knowledge would help us to live increasingly more morally good and virtuous lives in this world. The sort of lives that would cause people who don't know you to think, wow, there's something different about that person. Lord, help us. We can't do this without you. Help us to develop this knowledge of you that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.